Good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Key Aspects of Ransomware Readiness, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production produced in partnership with HHS 405D and sponsored by CrowdStrike. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes in the slides the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dan Bowden, VP and CISO with Centara Healthcare, Eric Decker, AVP and CISO with Intermountain Healthcare, and Drex DeFord, Executive Healthcare Strategist with CrowdStrike. So you're not going to get a better panel here. Uh, so let's start uh, with a little overview of everyone's organization and role. Dan, can we start with you? Sure, thanks. Uh, appreciate it. Dan Bowden, I'm the CISO at Centera Healthcare. Centera is the largest health system, uh, an integrated health network in uh, Virginia, and uh, we consider ourselves a, a mid-Atlantic uh, health, regional health system. I've been there just five years now, just crossed over five years. Uh, previously was uh, in the same role at University of Utah Healthcare and for the university, and then experience-wise going way back. Uh, Worked in uh, banking, uh, retail, and got my start doing all of this in the U.S. Air Force back in the 1900s. Oh, very good, Drex. Go ahead. I mean, I, I know you got an Air Force buddy now. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel. I had a whole career as a hospital administrator, CIO for most of my Air Force career, Dan. So I'm surprised we somehow haven't talked about that in the past. Uh, I'm Drex DeFord. I'm the executive healthcare strategist for CrowdStrike. Um, CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company with sort of a complete, effective, easy to deploy, easy to use solution that's you know perfect for healthcare. It covers everything from endpoints to um, active directory hardening. We support about 200 healthcare systems and we're growing every day and we have thousands of customers in other industries all around the world. Very good, Eric. Uh, yeah, Eric Decker, the CISO for Intermountain Healthcare. So Intermountain is a 24 hospital integrated delivery network, meaning that we have both uh, a hospital clinical um, practice plan and uh, a payer. Uh, so we, much like Dan and Centera out there on the East Coast. Uh, we are in seven states, uh, primarily based in Utah, have uh, a lot of the surrounding uh, states around Utah sort of covered in, in some aspects uh, at, here at Intermountain. And uh, I do believe I've, I've been here with Intermountain now for six months. I'm still learning some of the stats, but I do believe we're the biggest employer in the state of Utah. Dan, can you correct me on that or not? <laughs> 42,000 employees. You are. Yeah. It's either, it's either number one or number two. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Turns out that's not unusual for many states that there's health a healthcare systems, right? organization, health system that is the largest employer in the state. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's jump right into it. Um, first question let's discuss the nature of the ransomware threat. How serious is it to the average health system? And do the following constituencies get it? Um, you got a, a lot of different folks. So you got your CIOs, your CISOs. 
non-IT C-suite executives like the CEO and the COO. You've got the board and you have users, both clinicians and non-clinicians. So Eric, wherever you want to jump in there. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I personally can't stress the the criticality of this particular threat, and it's and it's not just focused on you know the large systems. Um, you know, in 2020, uh, I counted 90 health systems uh, that were uh, impacted by ransomware. There was a, a publication on that. I, I should find the source of it um, that that demonstrated that might have been ISMG, and uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 that actually compounded to about $20 billion in uh, total downtime impact in the healthcare industry. So, I mean, yeah, it, it absolutely hit the big guys. There were some, some really high level, uh, huge impacts that took place, uh, but it's also hit the smaller guys. And, and some of these things are going highly unreported as well, like uh, smaller practices and medium-sized practices and such that might not make the news uh, on, on shutdowns. The, the other thing is, is, you know, this really isn't just happening directly to the health system that I think what 2020 has showed us and 2021 has showed us is the third party side of this and both on how the third party can be a conduit into an organization. You know, that's the sort of solar winds and Casilla kind of issues, um, but also, you know, these third parties that serve as mission critical services for patient care. You know, that's the kind of the electa, you know, uh, case where when when they're providing a cloud service that, you know, is 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 necessary for care practices, oncology services, whatever, and, and that gets shut down, that actually causes uh, causes impact on on care. So the, the thing I like to describe when, when we talk about ransomware threats is, um, you know, it's really there's there's a twofold sort of impact scenario with them. One uh, is the patient safety side of this due to delayed care uh, or potentially even, you know, uh, harm that could occur because maybe, you know, mid procedure or something like that, something that occurred uh, or the, in the second piece is the revenue recognition. So uh, scripts just came out with a, with an understanding of uh, or rather a profile on how impactful that particular uh, ransomware attack occurred on them, and it was $106 million, $91 million of which was actually recognition, uh, revenue recognition issues. It's big, you know, and, and if, if anybody, if any of these people in the, in the list here don't understand that yet, then that's a problem. Um, I would say that, again, sort of my assessment on this is the larger systems are well aware uh, the medium-sized systems probably also aware, but maybe struggle a little bit to, to make some headway. And the smaller systems are probably still playing a little bit of the, well, it won't happen to me. You know, it'll happen to somebody else uh, kind of perspective. All right. Very good. Drex? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with Eric. I mean, I, I would like to think that they get it. It's in the news every day. Sometimes it feels like it's, you know, ransomware is in the news every day, all day long. Um, it's kind of a thing we used to barely hear about, but now it's become a huge deal in every industry, but obviously, especially in healthcare. Uh, Eric kind of talked about the delivery of modern healthcare is so intertwined with technology at this point that I think the days of kind of being able to deliver safe, effective healthcare to patients and families without the electronic components of the EHR and other things kind of becomes impossible if the technology goes offline. So um, 
while I think they understand there's a danger from a cybersecurity perspective, I don't think they really, um, you know, have done all the things maybe many organizations have not done the things they need to do to to, um, kind of prepare. And I I think even when they have prepared, uh, some of them think they're better prepared uh, than than they really are, you know, maybe kind of um, lying to themselves about how long they can treat patients without the EHR or how well they can do billing without rev cycle or not planning for extended week long kind of outages. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think go into this sort of planning and exercise and being prepared uh, for what might happen to them from a ransomware perspective that there's always work to be done, but, but I, I think uh, there are a lot of organizations that really need to put their shoulder against that. Very good. Uh, Dan? Um, I mean, I think I'll put, in my, my opinion, I'm maybe sort of a, a brutally sharp point on this. Uh, I would argue, you know, the problem now is uh, ubiquitous, omnipresent, omnipresent. It doesn't matter where you're, you're what industry you're in, uh, you can't look anywhere without seeing some kind of uh, an event around ransomware. And so I would say anyone who doesn't get it doesn't want to get it. Uh, and if you're a CISO who says, I can't, my organization just, just won't get it, this is really mean. But as a CISO, maybe you should go look home and look in the mirror and ask yourself how you're presenting the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, are you really helping, you know, explain and, and highlight the business relationship? And I like what uh, Eric and Drex said. I think a lot of that rolls back to doing a business impact assessment. Look at all your major services. What if the service provider, if it's, you know, like Electa, that's a great example on supporting patients or your revenue cycle. If you outsource all your revenue cycle, what if that goes down? Um, and, uh, but just go through that and explain to the organization um, what happens and, I, and when these go down. And I think, I think Drex hit it as well as you, you have to invest in finding out where the line is on how good you really are. And um, we did that this summer and invested in, you know, a, a hot shot red team to, to come in and come at us and, and try to get in. And um, it, uh, it was a challenge for them, but they did. And we learned a lot. And now we're, we're going to uplift again. And, um, but, you know, I'm blessed to work with executives, uh, senior leaders, they're very engaged and they signal risk tolerance to me. So all the articles, the stories, all those things, um, you know, our CEO or someone else in leadership will forward me those stories and say, Dan, tell me how all of these happened and then tell me where we stand against that. Um, did they get beat because of lack of 2FA or software vulnerability or a vendor or, or something else? And then tell me how we're doing there. And there's always something to improve on. And so I'm, um, you know, like, like for us, it's, uh, I'm not saying we can't get beat, we can, but um, it's, uh, it's now just kind of continually upping our, our game and wanting to learn more. And if we, you know, in, implement the controls we just have discovered we needed to make better, then we need to call in another red team again. And, uh, and I'm going to show them the last teams, that, what they did to us, how they beat us, what we did, and say, okay, now you come and beat us. And, and let's see how we, how we fare now and then what we've got to improve on. But it's, it's not easy. I'm not trying to say it's easy, but I'm just saying by now, if we don't get it, 
there's a um, you know a willingness or a motive or some other problem involved. Yeah, Dan, I, I love what you say there. Like, and this is this is something I I also like to to state is sometimes CISOs get into this. Some CISOs, I will say, I've, I've seen, will say things like, "Well, the business doesn't understand, or the business isn't supporting me, or or so on and so forth." I actually think that's our job, and and we can't deflect and you know and and, and put a be a victim essentially of right. the, the fact that the the organization doesn't get it. That that's actually should be a reflection on our ability to be business leaders to explain the risks and 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 help secure it. So yeah. This is really, the, I think, the, the escalation of the role of the CISO uh, in the executive suite, right? It, it's not that you come at them the same way all the time, like it's a blunt force instrument that you're just trying to get them to understand. This is the really sophisticated nuance of being an executive and understanding how the other executives around the table think and how they want to hear messages and what right. activates them or deactivates them and understanding how you sort of craft and compose these messages to help them understand that they need to be part of the cybersecurity team, right? And, and that is a level that I think there are some CISOs playing at. Uh, these two guys included, but I think there's, you know, there's a lot of folks that still aren't playing at that level. And that's why we hear that victim kind of approach here. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll even go as far as to say, obviously you should have a strategy that is, that is maintained and updated. And, and if you, if you don't have that in place, if you don't have a roadmap, a deck, a pitch deck, you know, something where you're, um, where you've worked this through many iterations, you're 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 shopping it around with your key executives. You're getting their feedback. You got your stories. You, know, you got your analogies. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you need to be ready. You know, both for those formal events when you're going to be presenting and asking for something, and those informal events. In fact, sometimes those are the most important ones, so that you can be on the spot, ready to sort of respond and ask or or push an agenda or something along those lines, and 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 sell. You know the 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 cyber program and the value of it. I mean, that's, that's our job. So, and, and it's all around this, you know, the, the ransomware threats, the data issues and so forth. And I, yeah, and I think some of us forget what, what's the C-suite and the board's number one job. It's managing risk. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what they do. That's what they're paid to do. The CEO all day long, every day, every decision is about upside and downside risk. And I think sometimes, you know, back to, you know, like, like Eric and I were talking, there are, there are some CISOs I've run across who they believe they're the only person in the whole company who cares about risk. And, uh, and I would say maybe you need to sit down with the leadership and the board and understand the language mm -hmm. of risk and, and start forming your message and how you enable or hinder the business with cybersecurity posture in that language of risk that they use. And I think you'll be received a lot better. And I just think that, I mean, just the word risk is so loaded, right? <clears throat> it means so many different things to so many different people. And how do we, we could do a whole webinar just on what is risk. Mean. <laughs> That's really true. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, you know, we were talking about creating that deck and having that story and there's no shortage of, uh, stories in the news about incidents that we can leverage 
to get that message across, right, Dan? I mean, they're coming every single day. It's what we mentioned about drowning in stories of incidents. Well, update your deck, have your top three items and mm -hmm. continually refresh that or act as an information source and send those stories around to the rest of the C-suite and say, you know, am I right, Dan? I mean, you can leverage this stuff. Mm -hmm. you, you can. And what happens is you never have any idea which direction the conversation will go. It could be simple conversation. How are we doing with 2FA? Or it could be, what's our comp plan like? Internal and external. And, um, you know, there's been a couple of these, uh, the, these health systems that have had prolonged outages where the conversation was me and brand engagement um, reading their Facebook timeline and asking ourselves, what do we want to be said? Or what do we want to say? How do we want to sound when we have this kind of event? Mm -hmm. um, and if I was a patient of that health system, how would I feel right now? And, and so there's, and then internally, oh my goodness. I mean, you've got to talk to everyone and find out what do they view their stake position is in the communication and decision process. Uh, great conversation I just had yesterday with our chief counsel. We're getting ready to do an IR tabletop and let's talk about the tabletop. Who's there? What's their role? Uh, are they part, are they a decision maker? Are they uh, an observer? Are they consulted? Uh, and and how do we how do we orchestrate this so that when we go in, everyone understands their role? So that when there's a real conversation, we're in the middle of an outage. We've got to make a lot of decisions. Who makes the decisions, and how do we prioritize the, the those dictated actions? It's it's difficult. And so that's the thing is when you you look at all these events, I think that they're all great to use internally. And try to internalize them and say, how are we similar? How are we different? Um, and uh, and include as many people as possible. I think, um, you know, as, as Eric and Drex alluded to, I think the leaders in the organization actually want to be and will welcome being included more. Mm -hmm. uh, they they don't want to see the organization get taken down with a ransomware event. Mm -hmm. They don't want to see one if it happens last a month. That they want to get to it and through it as fast as possible. So you need to talk about how do we prevent it, and then then you have the conversation. Well, let's assume it happened. Mm -hmm. Now, how are we going to come through this? And so I think that the the key is to use those and talk about them, and then try to internalize them, and, and say let's even if we don't think that could happen to us, let's assume it did, and and play it out. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, it's, it's I, I'd love to add to that. And, and Anthony and I know we're totally hijacking your no, questions. No, hijack away. <laughs> this is great. Um, so there, I think there's two things to add to that, which is, you know, we, we all know that prevention of a cyber attack is, if you're promising prevention, you're in a failing, a failed position because you, you, you can't promise that. Um, but the, you know, is it about the response and recovery that's actually the most important part of the whole thing? And to Dan's point there, the communications in that response is so important. And, and I think, you know, maybe some organizations are actually going to be judged on how well they do this uh, as part of its brand. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when you think about sort of this new, this new threat space that's never going away. I mean, this is going to be here for forever. Um, so that's just sort of forward thinking, you know, sort of thinking that in that mindset. 
And then something else that um, that I think is a, is an interesting metric to to try to uh, put together is a, a recoverability confidence uh, index. You know, so based on real data, based on a model, how you know, can you actually boil this down into like a single score? Like how confident are we that we could actually bring everything back up? Um, and can you use that as your communication vector inside your organization um, to help? Again, this is all about selling the story, selling the pitch, you know, trying to distill down highly complicated things, highly complicated technical things into something consumable. Um, you know, I think that's uh, certainly something we're doing. Um, and, and I think that's a, a really powerful way to explain where you might have risk. <clears throat> I mean, in the spirit of everything's connected to everything else, <clears throat> certainly a lot of this is a responsibility of the CISO, but um, as you're kind of hearing us talk about this, the responsibility is kind of spread across the board to other executives, to business and clinical and research leaders. They need to know and understand and be a part of this. I have a friend I asked the other day, how many people on your, on your security team? And she said, uh, you know, there are 8,642 people in my security mm. team. And what she was saying was that everybody's involved and it really is a culture here and it's taken us a long time to get there. Um, but, you know, we finally we finally crossed that bridge. And so, um, you know, whether it's the, you know, the IT team, do they know everything that's on their network? Do they uh, understand how everything is connected to everything else on the network? Um, I know you do backups, but you have you ever actually tested the restore of the backups to make sure that they work? All of this gets to, you know, the recoverability, recoverability confidence index, right? Mm -hmm. We know we can do this. We have tried it and it worked and it was only six months ago. And so we have relatively recent experience with it. Those are kind of all the things that go into this, you know, Boy Scout, be prepared. Uh, what's the worst case scenario? How do we deal with that? Yep. Dan, I want to ask you a little bit about that red team and the, the pen testing you were doing. You mentioned how valuable it is, and you don't want to just do it once. You want to do it sort of repeatedly over time. Do you think that there is any trepidation out there among CISOs that they could get exposed internally to their higher ups, if that report comes back and it's pretty bleak. So it's something you say, Hey, you know what? I really don't think I'm going to do that right now. Absolutely. freaking lootly. <laughs> um, we, we all, I mean, it's, it's natural for us all to think we're better than we are. It's a human thing. Right. And um, we, we, we work really hard. Everybody does. And, and with like my team, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I can't think how to describe the reaction. It was like, like watching your, your favorite football team get demolished. I mean, that was, I can't, I mean, I don't know what, how to describe the feeling, mm -hmm. but I said, Hey, you know what? It, it is what it is. And now you've got to, but the thing is the organization is pr proud of what we do too. And so they're like, I don't like seeing my, I mean, that was literally the, the kind of way I took, from our leadership is I don't like seeing us get beat either. Yeah. I, I don't play that, on the team, but I don't know? like seeing my team get beat. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, okay, well, what do we need? How do, how do we come back and fix this? Right. What do we do now? And then, and then the reason you do it again, you have to understand how these red team engagements work. You basically negotiate what a touchdown is for them. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they're going to find the first path they can get to that touchdown, and they're going to stop. There, they may, there may have been other trajectories mm-hmm. they could have also scored a touchdown, but they didn't, right? So you've got to analyze the findings, figure out, okay, well, how did they beat us to get that touchdown? What are the other things they could have done? Can we seal those up as well? And then repeat the, the red team exercise. And if, my advice is, if you ever engage a red team and don't get beat, fire them and call another one. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Agreed. I, I mean, would. I would be in a panic. Honestly, if I, if I picked a red team who didn't beat me, I would question my judgment first about how I picked and who I picked, and then I'd go find somebody else and tell them, hey, the last team couldn't beat me. What can you do? But you got to want that, right? You've kind of, if you want to get better, you've, it's, and it's hard. It goes against your nature. Um, and uh, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> but, but that's the, that's the game we play, right? It's a, it's a hundred percent a cultural thing too, right? The, if, if you go into a red team um, exercise and you get beat and what happens is that the blue team gets punished because you got beat, that is bad right. culture. That is not a situation you want to be in. The red team exists for the blue team to get better. That's mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. this should work. And if you do red team engagements, make sure that the engagement documentation that you have in place is that the red team, when they beat you, have to give you full disclosure on everything they did and how they went about it, because that's all the important stuff for the mm-hmm. blue team to be able to get better. If they don't know that, yeah. if it's just score a touchdown and then go away, that's not the red team engagement you want. Exactly. That's that's a great point. And and we want to work up toward doing this more continuously. And I'm, I'm you know, I'll I let Eric talk about this if he wants to, because I'm kind of yeah, he got me really spun up. We were having having dinner a few weeks back, and Eric got me really spun up on this idea of a fusion center. But do you want to talk about that, Eric, a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So th- this is something that um, they do it in the in financial services, and, and obviously, you know, uh, in in the three letter agencies and such. You know, the, the concept of a fusion center is a little different. But you know, the the thought here from from my side is bring together your your red team and your blue team literally in the same organizational structure and conduct reoccurring exercises and you can do it in in, in lots of different ways and you should um you know you should do the blind test where the blue team doesn't know what's going on and and you know that way you can sort of test responsiveness and and visibility and get a sense of how well are we actually seeing these threats but that that only gets you sort of one one lens and one view um, the, the thing I really like is the life cycle component of this, which is put your vulnerability people, your pen testers in with your sock, sit them down side by side, have the, you know, new vulnerability pops up, run a test against it, run a, run a pen test against it, see if they can break in while your blue team is literally at the hip seeing like, where did you get in? How did it happen? What's the signal? How do I turn that signal into a, a high fidelity signal? build that into my run book and throw it into my, my 24 seven monitoring and cycle it over and over and over again. I mean, it, 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 this kind of gets you into that like continual process. I mean, one, one of the things that's great about red teams is, you know, you, you, you get like a big thing. It's just a multi-month engagement. You know, maybe you get a big four or somebody out there that comes down and, um, and runs the whole thing and, um, it gets you a view, uh, but it's a lot of work, you know, to sort of stand it all up. 
don't get me wrong, you need to do that. You should do that as well as, as sort of the internal side. Um, but the thing that, that, that will help train the SOC perform better in that detection and response is knowing with full certainty that they're seeing a real threat, that, that they know is a real threat because they've been trained on it, because they've seen it, because their pen testers are, are there with them. Then, then your action is going to be prompter, hard, uh, better, and, and so forth. So uh, this concept of a fusion center is really just, you know, bring, bring the vulnerability teams, the, the, the threat hunters, the pen testers, and your, your SOC analysts all together in one org, literally reporting to one person, and build those, those processes up so that you can get into that continual, process, that continual lifecycle process. Rex, it's, um, you know, what we're talking about here, it sounds like it's going to be tough for uh, all but the largest organizations yeah. to manage. What are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, in, in a lot of ways, right? The, uh, the thing that happens um, with red teams is that there's so much stuff that they need to consume and understand. What are the latest exploits? What are the tools? Who are the... Who are the adversaries? How do they uh, move? What are the what are the tactics that they use? It's a lot of stuff for you to. It's a it's a real challenge, I think. Except all but the biggest organizations to maybe maybe be able to hire red teamers that are really super on top of their game. So partnering with others um, is incredibly important. So I don't mean to do a sort of a CrowdStrike commercial here, but just in general. Um, have an, an incident response retainer, right? If you don't have an IR retainer, you should have a retainer with someone. Uh, I'd love it for, for it to be with CrowdStrike, but have it with someone. And then uh, make sure that when you negotiate the IR retainer, one of the things that you want to do is that um, there's a certain number of hours that may be in that retainer that's ex extendable should it turn out that you have an incident and you need someone to come and help you. Mm -hmm. um, be sure that you can reuse those hours in other ways. And some of those are, you know, these red team exercises or looking through documentation or doing tabletop exercises or all the things that you need to do that are the Boy Scout be prepared, you know, kinds of things that make you uh, better, makes your, makes your program better. And when you look for someone to do an incident response retainer and help you with this stuff, make sure it's somebody who, does hundreds of these a year, not just um, the IR exercises, but the reality that, you know, for us, if you've read about, you know, breaches in the last year, odds are really good that we were probably asked to come in as part of the cleanup crew on that. And so we've seen in real life, in, you know, the ugly underbelly of how these things really work and the effect that they have on health systems and, and other organizations, that's the kind of knowledge and and insight that you want to uh, to have in partners that you bring on board to help you with these things if you can't do it yourself. Yeah, and and I'll add to that. You know, I think there's a to to Drex's point. I mean, not everybody has like their own internal sock and and so forth. I mean, that mm -hmm. that is pretty much for large large organizations. Um, but I think you could still do all of the exercises that I talked about with your managed service provider, and I think you should insist on that. Um, as a way of actually proving out the partnership and the value that they're bringing to the table. Because one of the biggest things you deal with when, you're, when you work with the MSPs is how do you know that it's actually working? You know, I mean, if you don't, if you don't pressure the MSP 
it's human nature again to sort of like let things be and it and and until like the the moment happens you're like wait a second why did my msp not actually catch that Mm -hmm. well you know you got to have that interchange with them and and i think you can run these types of exercises in the same context you know where you know run the you know run the red team bring them in tell the msp that you're doing it you know or don't tell the msp you're doing Mm -hmm. it one to test sort of how well they're doing and the other one to help them get better fidelity into the into the uh, signaling, um, you, you really you have to do that. And, um, and and there's a lot in healthcare where people do MSP, and I get it, you know, because it's it's it, it, there's a lot of reasons, good reasons to do that. But you really have to manage that process. Still, you can't just say I outsourced it and then walk away. Agree. You, you don't, back to the risk conversation, right? You can't really delegate risk, that kind of risk, right? You can delegate risk like with insurance and maybe get some money if something happens, but that's still not delegating the risk of like your reputation and impact to patients and families. So you're, you're right on the money, Eric. Dan, anything you want to add there? No, no, nothing, nothing really big, but just to, to kind of nail home that point, of it's that validation cycle. And that's why I said, you know, Eric got me so spun up on the, the fusion center concept because we, we talked to our red team. We went over their whole report. They published everything. And then we sat back and went to our SOC and uh, the analysts and said, okay, this is where we think the breadcrumbs were. What did you do? With, did you see the breadcrumb? And then what did you do with it? And we did. To, to Eric's point, we said, hey, you know what? We, some of the signal was there. But for some reason, we didn't we didn't shine enough on it. It didn't. It was lost in the uh, ten thousand alerts that we got, right, or something. It was like that, right. Yeah, it is a fidelity was, thing. Eric talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so that's the thing. That's why I said, you know, I, I started talking with with Eric about that and talking to my team and saying, all right, you know, that budget. So we and we budgeted a bunch of money next year. You know, one, we're still going to bring in an independent red team, but at the same time, train up some people so that we can start. How do we do those day in day out cycle of of, uh, of exercises and saying, hey, I'm I think I just got in. This is how I did it. Did you see that? Um, and so it's uh, but it's it's hard, right? You got to keep wanting to find problems, and I think that's at the root of a lot of the the, the cybersecurity problem all around is it's not in our nature to want to find problems. And it's, uh, it's a, that, that's the big challenge. Dan, do you think, I mean, is it possible to be doing these tests and, and not be doing the correct things afterwards to get better? What's the key to using these tests to get better? I think the, the, the one acting quickly, right. And, uh, and so it's, uh, you know, they say bad, bad news doesn't age well, right? The longer you let it go. And so you, if you don't act on it, I would argue sooner or later, you're going to get beat that way. And uh, so that, that's the key thing is when you learn something, act on it quickly and get the organization engaged. And like I said, we've got leadership, we've got IT, I've got the CTO, and all of us are talking about what, what are the... The, the, the suite, the solution set, what is it that improves our posture and how quickly can we get that done? And then how do we validate and test again? So we, we're already saying, how quickly can we get these things in place 
to call back a red team. So you, you've got to act quickly. And I think that's the, that's the gap. That's the problem. A whole bunch of organizations, I mean, who, has, who hasn't kind of come in and read a report about anything, a maturity assessment or a pen test? And then you say, okay, well, what's the status of the findings? I don't know, that's six months old. Um, and yeah. after six months, you know, it, it's already the world changed. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's the problem. You, you have to act quickly. And if you're not going to act quickly, then, you know, that may, you need to have that conversation ahead of time and, uh, and relay what you're doing. We relayed, sat down. I had a board meeting, you know, audit committee meeting in May and said, we're going to do the red team test. And we did it. And then we circled back with them in September. This is what happened. And, and this is what we're going to do. And so we, there was already, they, they knew, okay, wow, this will be, this will be interesting. We'll learn something. And then September, what did we learn? Okay. Now, what are we doing about it? And then December, we'll go back and report. This is where we are. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, but that's the thing is the, the courage to put yourself out there, mm -hmm. telegraph, Hey, I think there's a problem here or there could be, and we're going to go look. And if we find it, this is what will happen. But that's the, that's the challenge is the, just being willing to to stick your your neck out and telegraph what's happening, and if you're, I think I think you'll find there's more support in organization than you think, and and their words are worth more than my words. Our our CEO, COO, CIO, uh, they um, everybody's used to hearing the CISO chatter, right? And after a while, uh, that's just Dan talking again, blah blah blah. Uh, but if they hear it from the CEO or our, our chief diversity officer put and, I, and very popular person, our company put a, a cool thing out on our, our workplace site about cybersecurity. And that was awesome. I loved it. And, uh, but that carries, you know, just, it carries a completely different kind of influence in the organization. And so I think that's why you telegraph these things and let people know what's happening. All right, very good. Let's get into some of the specifics uh, regarding uh, ransomware preparedness. Uh, what can be done in an automated fashion uh, with AI, for example, and what's supposed to be done manually? Um, everybody touched on that point of getting the signal through the noise. It's, it's not a question of not getting alerts, right? It's a question of what's meaningful and not getting lost in it. You've got these, these sort of elements I wrote down here, but I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts on um, this question. So Drex, I want to start with you on this one. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, well, let me, I guess I would start by saying, I think that, you know, sometimes this is where traditional antivirus kind of falls short. Uh, they get updated um, signature files that help identify attachments. So the other files might be problematic and the software has to sort of examine every file, which slows down processing on the machine and, um, you know, as we see many software and infrastructure components now also sort of send out a uh, please exclude or make an exception for using your antivirus software on these components of the infrastructure or parts of the software, which then, you know, means that you're more vulnerable than you think. And this is sort of like a running thing. We, we sometimes we're sort of fooling ourselves thinking that we're more protected than we actually are. So, um, I'll talk a little bit about CrowdStrike again. Not, I'm not really trying to do a commercial here, but just to kind of give you a, a different view of the world. We were born in the cloud. So we have this tiny endpoint sensor that we deploy 
that looks for specific kinds of behavior versus sort of stopping and interrogating every file before it's open to make sure if it matches the most wanted poster from the SIG file. So you're way more likely to find zero day and other kind of attacks before they're discovered and announced sort of publicly by Microsoft or whoever might be announcing the, the, the problem. And we subscribe to this sort of model of 11060. So within a minute um, of something odd happening on a machine, we see it and start to analyze it. Within 10 minutes, we know if it's a real problem or a false alert. And if it's a real problem within 60 minutes, we've ejected the adversary. We fixed any issue with the endpoint and put it back in service. And that's a standard I think every healthcare organization should aspire to, right? Um, you know, the other thing I would say is that once we've gone through this process at CrowdStrike, we, um, we send the customer, you know, a full report on what we did and what the vulnerability was and how that led to the activity so they can fix the vulnerability across the entire enterprise, right? Almost like you had a little mini red team exercise there. Uh, and um, that info teaches the machine learning that we have in the cloud. Our product is called Threat Graph, which kind of monitors all of our customers and all of that activity. So anything like that that happens teaches Threat Graph to look for this new behavior, which is actually behavior that is a problem. And that behavior then becomes something we can turn on for all the other customers. So, you know, 50 million sensors worldwide. Uh, there's about 200 healthcare customers now. Um, that's the crowd part of CrowdStrike, right? And that's how we get to something called community immunity. So this idea of are there technologies that can help us be better and be quicker? Speed is kind of the, the, the currency right now in cybersecurity. That's kind of how we do it at CrowdStrike. Very good. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, so first... Um... One of the first things I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up is you need to think about, I like, I like the way so you framed a question, which is prevention, detection, response, and so forth, uh, because the, you know, your whole cyber program should really be based around those kinds of three tenets. And I'm, I'm just going to put recoverability in, in response if you just want to boil it all together. Um, so there is a, if, if, if the folks uh, on this webinar haven't heard of the 405D program and they haven't heard of the health industry cybersecurity practices or hiccup, I'll put the link in the chat. You need to look at it. Um, what, what we did with this, with this uh, publication, it's a public-private partnership with Health and Human Services. It was born from the Cybersecurity Act of 2015. So Congress directed healthcare and HHS to uh, build practices to help manage and mitigate, you know, the threats that that uh, the healthcare is facing. So we uh, we posited five threats that everybody faces in healthcare, and ten practices, upwards of eighty nine sub practices, stratified across small, medium, and large. So it's it's really kind of a how to guide how you practically manage, you know, those five threats based on the size of the organization that you are. So if you dig into that, um, it's four volumes. It can be kind of big, but you know it's it's got it's got slices just for you. Um, that would be step one. Um, I, I love you know everything that Drex has talked about with the AI and machine learning and, and such that CrowdStrike is doing. Um, I've seen it before. It's it's really effective. Uh, the you know I think one of the early phase items you know on how well are you actually ready for ransomware is to consider your whole program 
Um, and, and the vectors that these threat actors get into your environment and, and how they, how they move through it. Uh, the thing that I, I used to, I still kind of do hate the term ransomware. Uh, I'm getting used to it. The, the <laughs> thing, <laughs> the reason why I don't like it is because it implies it's just malware. It implies I click a link and suddenly my entire health system shuts down. That's not what's happening. What's happening is human operated attacks where they are taking this malware after they get into your environment and weaponizing it and deploying it. It's like the late stage of the attack is when, uh -huh. when this gets, actually gets out there. You can do so much ahead of time to actually curtail it as long as you actually look at it from a full attack chain lifecycle. So um, really suggest that you, you, you do a ransomware assessment, specifically a ransomware assessment, and, and start with what are the threats and how, you know, what are the threat actors that are out there that, that, um, that break in and, and do these things? What are the vectors that they use? You know, it's going to be the phishing attack. It's going to be the VPN. It's going to be your third party conduit. It's going to be, if it, God forbid you have RDP open up to the internet, if you do turn that off right now, um, you know, it's going to be all these different vectors that they are going to accomplish. And you can easily see this just by going into the news and, and reading about, you know, how, how the attacks have occurred. Yeah. Then you marry that up against your practices. Take Hiccup, you know, take those, those, those uh, 10 practices. Um, we actually lined up in Hiccup a, a, a spreadsheet that shows you the ransomware attack and the, the practices that mitigate it, either it directly or indirectly mitigates. And if you have, and then do a gap assessment against those practices. If you have a gap on something that directly mitigates a ransomware attack, that's your priority one. That's what you should be focused on to help defend and, 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 and get to this. Could be your, you know, could be your SOC or your monitoring or managed services. Could be two-factor. It could be, you know, any number of different things that, that is a problem. And then your indirects are your, your step two, three, four, and five. Um, and you, you conduct all of that and, and you're going to get better. Automation. Um, something I learned a long time ago, uh, you can't automate something that hasn't yet been standardized. If you don't have a practice that is repeatable and consistent, automation isn't going to do any damn good. So, you know, make sure that you understand your process and exactly how this stuff is going to go. Make sure it's consistent, consistent outcomes. Then you can get into uh, like, you know, these sore technologies and things like that, you can, you can go hog wild and you should, because you'll never have enough hands on keys to actually do the work yeah. <laughs> that's necessary uh, to keep up with how these threat actors are out there. Very good, Dan. Uh, no, I mean, what Eric just covered is gold. And you really, um, a whole bunch of smart people, um, you know, worked with, with Eric and Eric was a huge leader um, in uh, in getting this this published, and uh, it's it's just there to be consumed and used, and it is applicable. It's applicable and it's practical. It's uh, it's not you know challenging uh, work to to consume, but you know when you look at these uh, these steps and uh, what they're what there are, you'll learn after a while that you can start measuring maturity in these. These five points. Uh, what are preventive controls? That's outlined uh, for health systems in uh, the 405D documentation. What are detective controls? And, you know, the preventive controls, I'll throw one out, 2FA. 
detective. Um, you know, how, how do we monitor for anomalous behavior, EDR technology? Um, how, how, do we, how do we find events? Um, and then how do we turn those into a response? How do we vet those? How do we um, then respond to those things? And, and I think that, you know, one thing when you're, you're mature, um, you start talking about resiliency and recovery more. When you're saying, okay, let's assume certain bad things happen. Um, what does it mean? Can we continue? And, uh, you know, and that's the, that's the challenge back to that big picture. Is the health system down or not? And is recovery mean we bring up the whole tech stack or do people work in offline mode on paper? And, and that's where you start. If you're really good driving down into these things, all of a sudden you'll find out you're not just talking to yourself and the CIO, you're talking to the C, the, the CTO, you're talking to business leaders, you're talking to nursing leaders, you're talking to supply chain people about how do all these things come together and then what happens if. Um, and that's where I think you, you'll, you'll know you're really maturing is when you, you go from talking about uh, passwords and 2FA into how do we actually keep serving you know, patients and plan members? How do we keep the keep keep things back up? And so I think that um, you know that's the that's the challenge is um, understanding those things. And there is no the I guess the the good news or the bad news. We can go look at it. There is no finish line for us, right? <laughs> it's just we we get to a point and then there's somewhere else to run, or we find that something wasn't as good as we thought it was. Right. Or the threat actors get better. The red teams get better. The red team we dealt with uh, showed me a few things I didn't know um, had evolved on tactics and, and some of their methods. I was like, oh, wow, you guys, you guys have that now. Um, and, uh, and so, um, but there was one in particular. I just didn't see that coming. You know, when they told me what they did, I'm like, yeah, but such and such would stop that. No, no, it didn't. And when they walked me through it, I was, I was kind of surprised. But um, and I'm, I'm an old guy, so, so, right? so um, I thought I'd seen everything once by now or been beat by it once at least. But, but that's the thing is you, you got to continually cycle through these things. And what, that's I like in what's laid out for health system uh, teams, IT teams, security teams, in the 405D documentation, it shows you these things and then it shows you what the next thing is. You know, what are the simple things? What are the medium things? What are the hard things to get mm -hmm. done? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I'm I'm still uh, whenever I'm in a group with a bunch of healthcare people, I ask who's heard of this, uh, who's heard of HHS 405D, and I'm uh, every time you know someone doesn't raise their hand, we try to have a conversation and draw some attention to it. Thanks for letting us jump on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, I'm I'm picturing these red team, these top red team folks would be pretty cool to hang out with at a party. Am I right, Dan? <laughs> no, 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 no. They'll just scare no, you. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. no, or they, or they, they just can't. You know, they, they, they describe how they beat you, and then they like spike. You'll know, pick up the ball and spike in the end zone. And say, Is that <laughs> you know, it's like you know, no, it's oh, that's not cool. about those guys. Right? So. <laughs> Interesting characters, I bet. I bet. Um, there is like so much more I would love to talk about, but we do not have time. So what I want to do is I want to get a final parting thought from each of our guests. And 
uh, just put in your mind, you're speaking to uh, a CISO or a head of security, could be from, let's say, mid-sized to large organization. And, uh, you know, they're concerned like everybody else, and they want to make sure that they're doing everything possible um, to be prepared. They, they, this is someone who cares about doing their job well, uh, but they're nervous. So, Drex, let's go with you first. I mean, short and sweet, you've got a ton of great advice today from, you know, a couple of practitioners who have um, taken more than their fair share of beatings. <laughs> and so <laughs> go do the 405D thing, understand mm-hmm. what's happening out there, the practical um, it, it's overwhelming. There's so much yeah. stuff that you could do, but to have it in a format that allows you to sort of walk through it and think about how to box it and, and, and decide how to, how, to, how to make the work happen and in what order is really huge, especially at small and mid-sized um, health systems. The other thing I would say is if you don't have an IR retainer, do an IR retainer. You want to make sure that you are at the front of the line should something happen and that you have somebody who can come and help you um, when that happens. And the last thing would be like exercise, 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 right? This is all about not panicking in the moment when something is happening because you've done it in an exercise motion. You don't want to be Googling ransomware help the day of an attack. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Eric, uh, your final thoughts. I'll give, I'll try to give a couple here very quickly. Um, definitely agree with what Drex just said, put your crisis management plan together. And in that crisis management plan, don't think about it just as like it, you know, or, or just what your incident response team is going to do. It's an organizational response. How are you going to respond? If you get hit with a ransom, who makes the call, who makes the decision that you're going to shut things down? Um, what's your response action look like? And then as Drex said, execute, uh, uh, tabletop it, you know, like exercise it and run through it. Um, that's one. The other one is I like to talk about, you know, you change, change the language of how we, we describe risk in, in, in this field. Um, it, it, this is a little bit of a precursor within 405D. We are working on another publication, which is cybersecurity as a component of enterprise risk management. Um, what I can tell you is, you know, the business doesn't get what CIA means. We do, you know, confidentiality, integrity, availability. That's very esoteric to us, you know, technologists. What they do get, though, is impacts to patient privacy and confidentiality. Like if, if I have a breach, they lose data. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. They definitely get patient safety. And, and whether or not the ecosystem is going to be available to, to conduct business. And they absolutely get revenue recognition. If you can't bring in the money, you can't run the business. If you can, if you can boil up your cyber risks into those three things, you're talking enterprise risk now. And you can even add like four or five if you want. Like if you if you've got big growth, you know, strategies, you know, the growth side of that risk could be complexity or increasing a footprint and things like that. Um, but you know, ultimately build your risk model to help support that. And you're going to be in a lot better position to have the conversations with them. Very good. Dan, we'll give you the last word. Thanks. I mean, along with what Drex and Eric were saying, I think that, um, you know, understanding uh, how you're going to telegraph your plan to leadership, work on that every day, rehearse it and practice it every day, learn to tell the story of your program. And then, with that, find good peers uh, that 
you you trust sharing with and who will share with you. That does a lot. Um, you know, Eric and I have a couple of different, you know, kind of collaboration groups that we work with. And and some of them, we, we have formal meetings on them, the calendar every month with other really good, good CISOs. And then Eric and I work in health systems that are very similar to each other, the way we're structured and what we do. And uh, even though maybe we do, we run the programs a little bit differently, we learn so much. I, I learn so much talking to my peers, but it helps me better formulate my story. How do I explain mm -hmm. what the risk is? Is it really a risk? And, um, and, and if so, how do I get more attention for it? And, and that's that problem we have is how do we, how do we get enough, maintain our technical and site, you know, kind of our trade craft mm -hmm. well, very well to know about the threats, but then also develop the, the acumen and understanding to speak about risk in the terms that the other leaders in the organization do. Excellent, excellent discussion today. Like I said, uh, lots more we could have talked about, but we have to respect people's times. Um, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, and I mean that, uh, Dan Bowden, Eric Decker, and Drex DeFord. I want to thank our partner today, HHS 405D, and I want to thank our sponsor, CrowdStrike, and our attendees for coming. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. <laughs>